Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about surplus. In this particular series, we've rested on the uh, surplus anointing or the surplus of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I parked on that for a while to really rototill, sow some seed, bring some harvest in every one of our lives concerning the Holy Spirit. I realize that all of us are at different levels when it comes to our relationship to Jesus. Some people are just starting. We'll be baptizing a a group of people uh, in the 11 o'clock service that this service will not be able to see. We have about 17 people. A lot of those people are just starting their Christian walk. They're just turned the corner to call on Jesus and get their relationship going. So they're just starting with the Holy Spirit and the Word and learning how to grow in spiritual things. Other people have had a long start, but maybe the Holy Spirit activity in your life had died down a little bit, or there's not the surplus overflow that you need in your life to really have a spiritual impact upon people around you and upon life itself, not only your inner world, but that part of you that flows out to touch other people and in your prayer, in your worship, in your Bible reading, and in your prayer for other people, you need the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, the agent of the Godhead that comes to fill our life, overflows our life with a surplus. And that's what I'm trying to get across in this particular message. Increasing, everyone say increase. I want to help you increase the Holy Spirit in your life. Here's our prayer. Increasing our surplus anointing. The believer progressively grows stronger and stronger. At least that's what the Bible says should happen. In the power of the Holy Spirit, increasing the capacity and intensity of the spiritual flow with a greater surplus anointing. Now, I'm going to be dealing with the increase of capacity and intensity of spiritual flow so that you will have a greater surplus anointing in your life. I believe the Holy Spirit enters us when we're saved. Holy Spirit comes into our heart. We've dealt with that and talked about that, how the Holy Spirit abides in us and rests in us. And then the Holy Spirit begins to change and transform our life and begins to enlarge our life. As the Holy Spirit abides in you and begins to grow, that growing should enlarge your capacity for more of the Holy Spirit and actually the gifts of the Holy Spirit, intercessory Prayer in the Holy Spirit, worship in the Holy Spirit, moving in the Holy Spirit, fruits of the Spirit. When you go through the Scriptures, there's a lot of phrases that have of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the growth of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, of the Spirit. And so if there's not a strong flow in your life of the Spirit, you might not really develop the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, or the power of the Spirit, or a minister in the supernatural realm, because your flow is so weak. You have no surplus to kind of move those things forward in your life, and you begin to rest in a lukewarm kind of a Christian life, or just a, a stale would be the 
the negative side or just kind of a normal okay life, but you really don't press in. And so I'm trying to just press you a little bit and get you to increase the anointing in your life. How many can say, and I will be pressed? Yes, we all feel that. Press me, Holy Spirit, and help me move into the things I should move into. Okay, increasing your anointing, you're going to have to push ahead. And these are some things you have to push ahead and, and overcome. First of all, number one, you've got to push past your fears. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and as I'm dealing in this particular message with spiritual language, the evidence of the flow in your life or speaking in tongues or other tongues, spiritual flow that is wrapped up in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the river of God that flows out of you, you've got to push past the fears that might have uh, somehow intimidated you or brought you into a bondage when it comes to the Holy Spirit activity in your life. Second, you've got to crowd out some of the bad questions. There are good questions you should ask from the Scripture. Other questions that will come in, and those kind of questions that come from the carnal man or even from the, the dark side, the underworld, that starts throwing questions in your mind to question the validity of the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit or I think people are faking it and I question that and I'm not sure I need any more and I'm not sure I deserve any more. You've got to crowd out those kind of questions. Third, you have to overcome intimidation. The enemy will come upon you and so will life to intimidate you. You won't get anything even if you press in. It's not going to happen for you. It's going to bypass you. Intimidation to press you down forth. You have to believe the promise. The promise is not my promise. I'm not preaching a promise that I'm giving you this morning. It's a promise in the scriptures we're going to see once again. The Father has given this promise. The Son has given this promise. And the Holy Spirit fulfills the promise. You have a promise to inherit. And that promise has something to do with the Holy Spirit in your life. You have to respond to spiritual hunger. Whenever you begin to feel any kind of a drawing, a drawing toward God, a conviction, a stir, some kind of a movement in your heart, a thought that comes to you, I need to pray more, read more, worship more, I need more of God, that's spiritual hunger. Whenever you feel spiritual hunger, give in to it. Whenever you feel the thoughts that press you closer to your devotion, give in to it. Whenever you feel the thoughts about praying more, worshiping more, and getting into the presence of God, you give in to that thought. You you respond to your spiritual hunger by saying, yes, Lord, fill me. I'm going to press in. So you take more time in your devotions. You take more time in your prayer time. I, I have talked to so many people just recently that have been touched by this series, that have been praying more, praying more in their spiritual language. And man, there's been some unbelievable visitation testimonies of people that have had the Holy Ghost just fall on them and revisit them and fill them again and a fresh anointing and a fresh power and a fresh release. And when that happens, it's just like when you you flush something out that, that has a lot of stuff stuck in the pipe, you know, when you have to clean something out. The Holy Spirit starts cleaning your life out. And when you have spiritual flow, there's other junk that comes out. It's not just the flow of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit has power in your life to flow through. And as you intercede in your spiritual language as you begin to pray for the presence of God, other things come up and you let them go, such as unforgiveness and, and that bitterness or that resentment or, or that spirit of lust or that hatred or, or that thought life or those things that have really plagued you. You feel guilty about them. There's a shame that comes with sin because that's the way God meant it to happen, that we would feel something is wrong. And so there comes a guilt or a shame and then there can come condemnation, which is not good, but the enemy uses it to pound us down so 
that we are so beat down that we cannot even really lift ourselves into prayer and worship. But as you begin to pray and the Holy Spirit begins to flow, your head is lifted up. I will lift up my head. Come on, I want everybody right now just to take your hands and your head and lift it up. Come on, on all campuses, just to take your hands and your head and lift up. I want you to shout out loud, and I will lift my head. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I will be lifted up. I will not be beat down. Now put your hand down. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit starts coming upon you. You will begin to lift your head. Condemnation will fall off. And those things the enemy has been put on, like Hebrews says, which are the, the little weights and those uh, little things that he ties around your feet and all those things that he hangs on your mind and your emotions start falling off. And before you know it, you start feeling the freedom of God. You start feeling the power of God. You start feeling the joy of the Lord. You start feeling a, a life of Jesus flowing through you. You start sharing the gospel again. You start praying again. You start having devotions that are fun, fulfilling, satisfying to your spirit devotions, you start growing in the Holy Spirit. I vote we grow in the Holy Spirit. It works. It works. Push past things, but when you get to spiritual hunger, grab onto it. Cry out for fullness of the Spirit and then open yourself for rivers of power. Begin to cry out for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I want everything you have for me in the Holy Spirit. And I want the rivers, the rivers of the Holy Spirit, the power to flow through me. Here's a great scripture for you to pray. Ephesians 3.16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened. In might. Through. His spirit. In. The inner man. Your life does not exist in your mind or in your flesh. Your life core exists in your inner man. And your inner man is a true man. That inner man has a will. It has emotion. It has attitudes. It has feelings. Ephesians 4.30 says you can quench your inner man, quench the spirit. There are things you can do to uh, harm the spiritual man and, and not allow the spiritual man to grow, stunt the growth. And so Paul prays, says, I want you to be strengthened with might, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, through his spirit in your inner man. Luke 24, 49. How does that happen? This is the promise. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. I want you to say out loud upon me. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem, and I'll quote you again the scripture that comes off of this Luke 24:49 in the book of Acts, takes the same scripture, the same promise, and puts it to you and your children and afar off. The promise goes to every generation. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, the supernatural signs, if you turn there and follow with me in Acts chapter 2, so that you can just kind of... Uh, uh, breeze through as I'm referring to these scriptures. See them in your own Bible. Circle words and kind of get into the Bible yourself. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 would be the section. Verses 3 through 5 is what I've already referred to. And that is at the day of Pentecost. Now remember, the day of Pentecost is a real day, a feast day, a holiday. A very special day in the calendar year of the Jewish people. And Jesus is actually fulfilling the feast as they come literally and spiritually calendar-wise and date-wise. 
Jesus died as a Passover lamb on the day of Passover when that feast was being celebrated. He fulfilled the feast and shut the door to all the lambs that would ever be sacrificed. There would never again be any more animal sacrifices. He fulfills the Passover, the Passover feast on the cross. That is already done, taken care of, and he moves on. Then he fulfills the sheaf of first fruits as he rises from the dead in the resurrection, and he fulfills that feast. Then he moves to the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a real day, an actual day. In your Bible it says, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. It was an actual feast day on that particular day. Jesus chose to fulfill the feast of Pentecost with a spiritual fulfillment on a literal day. So Pentecost being 50, and they were 50 days from the crucifixion. 40 days of teaching of the kingdom of God or teaching the kingdom of God after the resurrection. 10 days in the upper room brings you to the 50 days, which is the day of Pentecost. So on the day of Pentecost, on that particular day, the genius of God understands that there's going to be a great gathering of people at Herod's temple. Now get a frame of reference on this because a lot of people don't understand at all what kind of a context Acts 2 falls into. Herod's temple took 46 years to build and wasn't finished on this day. They were still doing things to it. But it was 46 years in the building. Herod's temple covered 35 acres of land. The temple was 35 acres of building. One-fifth of the entire size of the city of Jerusalem. It was a massive, massive temple. And it was destroyed in AD 70 by Titus and his army prophesied by Jesus. But on this particular event, Herod's temple is a massive temple. And people would come in from all around the provinces, all the Jews that were dispersed. And they had a name for them, the Spuria, those that were Jewish people that were dispersed into different countries who actually lived there and learned the native language of those countries and actually gave up their native language, which was the Jewish language. They would come back on the day of Pentecost and they would bring their, most of them, their fruit offerings more than animal offerings. And they would come to the temple. Now, remember this. Where they met in the temple, and there were different places you could meet in Herod's temple, the uh, Gentile court, the woman's court, and right on in, the court that they met in to bring all their sacrifices and where the upper room opened onto this particular court, 210,000 people could fit on that court. So it wasn't like it was two or 300 people and they heard them speaking in tongues. This was a 200,000 people gathering. This was a massive building. This was a massive court. This was a massive time for the people to come together. And there were all different languages. If you've ever been to a, a city like New York or, or uh, some places in Los Angeles where as you walk down the street, you hear Asian, you hear uh, African, you hear South American, you hear all these dialects going on around you. It's, it's just kind of fun, but it's so different as you hear so many different dialects going on. If you would walk that day into Herod's temple, you would hear all the dialects that would be going on, dozens and dozens of different dialects. And, and these people are Jewish people that had lived in another land for so long, they had adopted the language of that particular land because the temple was a time for the Jews to bring their sacrifice. But these people were not from Jerusalem. A very small amount came from Jerusalem. They came from all over. So on this particular day, now get the context, because I think this is... Very, very key to interpreting Acts chapter 2 and understanding what happens. This is a day of languages. 
It's a day of dialects. It's a day of international visitation. It's a day when all the provinces and countries are represented. It's a day of celebration. It's a day when they would come and, and like a giant mall, bring all their sacrifices and fruit and visit the priests. And there was music going on and there were like choirs singing in the temple. I mean, it was just a huge festival as they were reminded that there is a Pentecost. There is a feast of harvest. Pentecost is the feast of harvest. That's the feast that falls on. And so they were reminded, bringing their first fruits of their harvest and talking about the harvest and the blessing of the Lord and on their home and on their city and the whole thing was about the favor of God and the blessing of the Lord and on our crops and on our children and all this is going on. And in the middle of that, in the middle of all the languages and the dialects and the festivities and celebrating harvest, harvest, feast of harvest is the celebration. God says, I'm going to wait and pour out my spirit right about there. I won't need any marketing because they all go back to their own country. Just think how much money God saved by doing it there. He didn't have to go through customs or cultures or ambassadors or print or, or get people to do this or make sure. He just brought them all together on one day. And then in the middle of that gathering, he does something supernatural. Three things. Supernatural wind. Supernatural fire. And I think very pivotal Supernatural tongues. Acts chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. The tongues of Pentecost. Then there appeared to them divided tongues. Note it, divided tongues. As, like, simile, metaphor, symbol, fire. And one set upon each of them. I believe all 120. They were all, everyone say all. Filled with the Holy Spirit and began. Everyone say began. They began to speak with other tongues. But tongues that were not just driven by nationalistic learning or some kind of natural ability, linguistics, because it says as the Spirit gave them utterance, they began to speak in tongues. Why? that they began to speak in tongues. Acts 2.11 says, the Cretans and the Arabs said, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. That's in your Bible, Acts 2.11. Acts 10.46 says, and they heard them speak with tongues, magnifying God. Acts 19.6 says, Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues. 1 Corinthians 14.5, Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. That's three decades after Pentecost. 1 Corinthians 14.18, I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul confesses his ability and capacity to move in spiritual language. Now, spiritual language is scriptural and powerful. Here are three very important statements I want you to take. Hear, listen, write. Hopefully, I'll I'll give you enough time to do so. But I want you to hear three very easy, specific statements about spiritual language. Number one, spiritual language is a spiritual resource and benefit intended for and available to every born-again believer 
who asked and is open to receive. That's a scriptural fact. That is the way the Bible lines up with the Holy Spirit and this thing called tongues. Now, the only reason there's a debate about tongues is because about a hundred years ago, we had some outpouring of the Holy Spirit that caused some manifestations and some people to get a name for them called Pentecostals, and Pentecostal denomination did not even exist a hundred years ago. It was Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Baptist. Pentecostal denominations only happened in our nation at the turn of the century. And that happened during the turn of the century revivals and the turn of the century outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And some of the people that were touched with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they were people who spoke in tongues, but they also had other manifestations. Sometimes there was shaking. Sometimes there was jerking. Sometimes there was rolling. Sometimes there was falling. Sometimes there was laughing, screaming, crying. And there was all kinds of emotions that were set with this particular doctrine on speaking in tongues. And what happened is there was a huge denominational reaction to that and a huge theological reaction to that. So books were written and denominations dug in and said, we will not accept this. But a hundred years before that, the Methodists were the ones who taught on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Presbyterians had it as a qualification to be an elder in their church. And so there was a reaction against the manifestations that they interpreted as being excess. And some of them probably were in excess, but people didn't know maybe how to handle themselves or whatever. And, and things happened. So books were written, denominations dug in, Pentecostals were pushed to the side and called the across the tracks people, the uneducated people, the, the people that are too emotional. And, and out of that birthed the Assembly of God and the Four Square, Amy Semple McPherson, all these people began to lead their particular movements in the Holy Spirit and trying to balance it with teaching and teach on this particular hot subject, which was tongues. It has remained to be a very hot subject for a hundred years because of that initial reaction so that in seminaries and as people read, there's an initial training that says, and don't mess with tongues. Uh, get people saved, get them water baptized, but leave out this tongues business because that's a very controversial thing. We're not even sure it's theologically right. And so you just kind of take that package and pass it on to the denomination and they pass it on to their people. And then when someone says, I speak in tongues, they say, that's wrong. That's controversial, but it doesn't have to be. It's not wrong. It's not controversial. It's biblical. It's part of the package. It's part of Christianity. It's part of what Jesus said, the Father said, the Holy Spirit does. It's not something we should give up on so easily by being embarrassed about it. We are not just Pentecostals. We are Christians. And because we are Christians, we have right to everything that God has promised us. And one of those things is the Holy Spirit. And one of those things is speaking in other tongues. Now, you can do it in excess and you can do something weird, but there are people to do other weird things with doctrines of the Bible. And you look at that, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You keep the baby and throw out the bathwater. Isn't that what that's supposed to mean? You keep something. I say we keep what the Bible teaches and the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. And so if you're going to be filled with the Spirit, you have to push by some of your baggage, if you have any, some of your fears, if you have any, because I know that people are afraid that if I lay hands on them or someone else or a leader or an elder, or a small group leader, if we lay hands on you, you've heard about it. People will actually um, be afraid that you'll go into a trance. <laughs> what happened? I got it. Do you remember? No, I just went into a trance and my body jerked and fell and it was the most amazing thing. And other people were saying, I don't want that. What happens if I have false teeth and my teeth fall out? 
What happens if I do something embarrassing? What happens if I, if I begin to do some manifestation that I, I would be so embarrassed about? And so people say, I don't want to be touched by anybody because I've heard that when you get Holy Spirit, funny things happen to you. I want you to know that inherently in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing emotional. Doctrinally. A person can be filled with the Holy Spirit by simply mumbling a few words. Wow. Because that's the personality. And someone else might be just so carried away that you actually begin to interpret personality to be a doctrine. And you start thinking that if they don't cry and have a real manifestation of some kind, they don't get the Holy Spirit. You can get the Holy Spirit drinking a cup of coffee, reading your Bible, sitting in the easy chair, resting in the presence of God, and you can begin to speak in tongues as easy as I'm telling you right now. Now, if you knew that, you might do it. But because there's this funny thing in our head, a lot of people don't. All right, now, second statement. Spiritual language is the supernatural utterance by the Holy Spirit through the human vessel. In languages never learned by the speaker, nor understood by the speaker. Now, if you put all the scriptures together in spiritual language, you will find my definition to be accurate, at least the way I see the scriptures, the way I read them, This would be an accurate definition of spiritual language and utterance. It is supernatural. That is, it comes from the kingdom of God, from heaven, through the Holy Spirit. It is not man-made. It's not man-packaged. But it does come through human vessels, which means it's your vocal cords, it's your breath, it's your tongue, and it's your language. It comes through you. It doesn't come outside of you. It comes through you. Spiritual language has nothing to do with your linguistic abilities. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you receive a language that has an utterance with the quickening of the Holy Spirit. Number three statement. Spiritual language, as I understand it, opens a new flow of the Holy Spirit that strengthens the believer in prayer, worship, and gifts of the Spirit. Because with the baptism, the infilling, the outgoing, the fullness of, you have these other teachings that go with it. The flow of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. There's a strengthening that comes to your inner man to actually move in the spiritual realm and the spiritual flow. And I believe spiritual language is an opening in that particular activity that gets you ready to actually move more in the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in spiritual language did not stop in Acts chapter 2. Remember, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19... 1 Corinthians 14, Jude verse 20, Romans chapter 8. But not only that, we have documented historians 
from the early church fathers. When someone says early church fathers, the church fathers were those that were in, within the hundred years of the first 12 apostles. And they were like the disciples or the children or the stepchildren of the early apostolic age. And so they were called the early church fathers because they existed in their ministry in 100 AD, 110, 130, right up to the second century. So they were called the early church fathers. They, they were impacted by the apostles either directly or very close to be indirect and their ministries were an offshoot of the early apostolic men and women in the book of Acts. Irenaeus, Tertullian, Augustine, our number, there's a number of early church fathers. Listen to what Irenaeus says writing in the second century, referring to the casting out of devils as being part of their ministry. He also says, we hear many of the brethren in the church who have prophetic gifts, the second century early church father, who speak in tongues through the Spirit, and also bring to light many secret things of men. Tertullian, another famous church father who lived in the second century, he says, we speak freely of spiritual gifts and we have them, including the gift of tongues operated amongst those with whom we worship with. Augustine in the fourth century, we still do what the apostles did when they laid their hands on the Samaritans, which is Acts chapter 8, and called down the Holy Spirit on them. In the laying on of hands... It is expected, this is Augustine, that converts should speak with new languages, with new tongues. Christianism in the 5th century. Whoever is baptized should be baptized the same as in the apostolic days. And straightway after baptism, they should speak with tongues. The Encyclopedia Britannica canonly asserts that the tongues of Pentecost recur in every Christian revival since the first century. There are documented cases of people speaking in tongues every century since the first century. Philip Schaff, in the history of the Christian church, which is one of the great historians and most colleges would use some some of Schaff's books. He says, speaking in tongues reappeared from time to time in seasons of religious revivals among the French, the early Quakers, the Methodists, the readers, the Irish revivals. And he starts documenting all the revivals where people were filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues. Thomas Walsh, one of John Wesley's best preachers, young preacher, he wrote in his diary in March 1750, this morning the Lord gave me languages that I know not, raising my soul to him in a wonderful, wonderful manner. The Huguenots, French Protestants in France in the year 1680, had amongst them, it says, those who were filled with the Spirit and those who spoke in tongues. I give you just a, a, a smattering of church history to let you know that this is not just a Demazio doctrine I'm trying to push onto our church and all of a sudden just trying to, you know, bring tongues up as a controversial thing or something that everybody has to have. I'm just going to preach it for what it is. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. The apostles taught it. It's in the Bible. It's in church history. It's part of our package. We should have such a faith and an openness that we would never be embarrassed if someone says to us, so are you, are you one of those tongue speakers? You would simply say, why, yes, aren't you? Well, of course. I mean, it's just normal, isn't it? Instead of well, yeah, kind of, yeah, I'm one of the, I'm, I'm, I, I, yeah, I kind of, you know, it's not really, I mean, it's something that I hide in my closet, I never bring out, and I, no one knows about it, and, you know, like I made my statement a few weeks ago about coming out of the closet, sorry about that. And so, 
You talk about coming out. It's almost an embarrassing thing that we have to admit. And I'm trying to get you and I to get rid of this embarrassment and bring a dignity to it to simply look someone in the eye and say, you know what? I am a tongue speaker. And speaking in tongues is something so normal and so natural. It just allows the Holy Spirit to touch you. Would you like me to pray for you? Because you can also be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of all the apologies, no apologies. Turn to your neighbor and say, no apologies. Surplus anointed, increase through spiritual prayer language. Here's a few thoughts. Number one, how do you increase your anointing through spiritual prayer language? Number one, here's your decisions, I hope, and you're, you're digging in today to say this is what I will do. Number one, I will grow an anointing using my spiritual language daily. Acts 2.4, and they began. The verb in the Greek, I know you would ask this, so I would look it up for you. The verb in the Greek is pointed to a timing, pointed in the timing they began to speak. At this point, the people being filled began. Simply, there was a point of beginning. Now, we don't know how long they sat in the presence of God. We don't know how long that anointing was on them before they actually gave utterance. We don't know if it was two hours, 30 minutes, 20 minutes, nine hours, the whole day before that they were feeling this anointing coming upon them. And and finally, at nine o'clock in the morning on that early week of June, when the feast was taking place, which was the best weather in Jerusalem for them to have the feast. And that early morning time period in the month of June, they might have been up all night in prayer, two hours that morning in prayer. We don't know. But there came a time, a time. Acts 2, 4, and they began as a participative response to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, they began. The Spirit continuously giving them what they were speaking out loud, they began. The key text assists us in understanding the link between the miracle of language and the mindset to speak in response to the Holy Spirit being upon you. You will never be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in a spiritual language until you begin to speak. You have to have a step of faith. You have to put the language together in your mind. Maybe you might have a syllable or two that starts coming to you. But I I, I want you to understand this. There are 6,000 dialects on planet Earth that we know. 6,000. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, I think there are two or three things that happen. One, I think there's a spiritual language that you receive that is not a human dialect, that is a spiritual dialect. It's a, it's a tongue that only heaven knows and the Holy Spirit knows and no one else knows and I can prove that. But I also believe that you can, in your baptism of the Holy Spirit and in your intercessory prayer, that you could actually move into another dialect and you could actually be praying for another nation, an unreached people group, or some situation in a tribe you know nothing about. And you start praying in syllables that sound funny to you, but then you turn on the Discovery Channel or you're listening to something, you say, but that, those people sound like me when I speak in tongues. And all they do is... Someone says, that's not tongues. Man, would you get it together? That's demonic almost. (laughs) There's been people told that about their tongue. That sounds, that's not a flow. (laughs) 
Oh, come on, brother, get some flow to this tongue. I mean, that's a little weird. And, you know, your husband or your wife starts praying. They go, oh, Jesus, come on, honey, that sounds funny. You don't know. If the Holy Spirit is not coming on you to pray for some Asian group of people that he has given you a special burden for, because I believe on the day of Pentecost, one of the great things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to welcome the international body of Christ and to affirm the great commission that we're taking the gospel to the nations of the world and to be reminded that the church is not made up of Caucasians and American-speaking people. We are made up of international church of Jesus Christ, of every language and every tribe and every kindred. And when we speak in tongues, we are reminded that the world is to be taken for the gospel. That's part of what it was all about. Speaking in tongues is not about you just kind of having a fun time in God. Oh, I got it. It's not that you got it. Does it have you? Well, what happened to you? There should be a reaffirmation of the Great Commission in your life. There should be intercessory prayer and you should begin to speak in your spiritual language with intercession and with your prayers and with your worship and with your acknowledging of the world. Some of us who speak in spiritual language need an overhaul. We need some new words, some syllables, some sentences, paragraphs. We need to go beyond Shandai Rama. We we need to put some exercise of faith in to say, Lord, I want some some new words in my spiritual language. Every time I pray that, I start getting more languages flowing through me. Some of those, it's actually kind of fun for me. I actually enjoy speaking in tongues more than probably anything else I do in my devotion. I enjoy interceding in tongues because things come on my mind and on my spirit. I can be so... Uh, com- uh, confused and have a complexity about me about a situation. But as I speak in my spiritual language, like the Holy Spirit takes out my mind what I would pray and he starts praying for it and through my spiritual language does an intercession that the Father can answer and nails my request in a way that the Lord will say that's exactly what's got to happen in that situation where I would not even pray those things. But the Spirit in me knows how to pray and so when I speak in my spiritual language I take complexity and make it simple. I take confusion and make it clear. I take what is unreachable and make it reachable. Folks, spiritual language is a powerful tool. A powerful tool. And you can use it. Number two, I will intercede for all people with my spiritual language. They heard them speak in their own language. Affirmation, when I just preached to you about the thousands of languages and the reaffirmation of the Great Commission and inviting all the nations to join us. The church, the church of the Lord Jesus was never meant to be an all one color church. Our church would be boring if it wasn't for the races. Thank you for joining our church and helping us poor white folk have a little bit of color. A little bit of culture, a little bit of difference, a little bit of acknowledging there's a world outside of us. Speaking in your spiritual language, number three brings understanding of things you don't understand. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse two, it's what your Bible says. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. 
That's what it says. But to God. That's why I think there's a spiritual language that's a prayer language that I use all the time in my prayer and worship, but there's also the tongues of the globe that I think can come upon a believer for intercession. And sometimes people get mixed up whether you get filled with the Spirit with someone else's language on earth or you're filled with the Spirit with a special language. I think both are involved, but the first is the initiative. You get a a reception of a spiritual language that is yours to speak to God, but there can also be a moving into an intercession for the nations and the world. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For no one understands him. However... In the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. He who speaks in a tongue speaks to God. No one else understands. And he speaks mysteries. A mystery is that which is outside the range of unassisted natural apprehension. Can be made known only by divine revelation. A mystery is something that's being revealed. Number four, I will edify my inner man using my spiritual language. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue, very clear, edifies himself. That's not when I speak Spanish or Japanese. or That's why I believe there is a spiritual language that is a language given to you, what I would call a prayer language, that only heaven knows it's in the spirit and it's of spiritual nature. It edifies, it speaks to God, no one else can understand. It's a prayer language. Number five, I will pray in the Spirit and I'll pray in my spiritual language. That's what your Bible says. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Very clear. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is not productive. I pray in a different language, my spirit is praying, but my mind does not get involved. Different translations. If I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand exactly what I'm saying. For as I'm praying in the spirit, the spirit is praying. Holy Spirit intercession. Romans 8.27. Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And that cannot be uttered is not that you can't put any sound to it, is that it's not for you to actually verbalize it in your language. You utter it in your spiritual language. It's a spiritual intercession. Romans 8, 26 and 27 sound just like 1 Corinthians 14, 14 to me. Number six, I will sing praise with my spiritual language. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. What is the conclusion then? This is what Paul says. The conclusion is this. I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with understanding. We do both. I will sing with the Spirit And I will sing with understanding. This is why in our church, whether you get offended of this or you question, it's a biblical conviction for me. And I believe I'm on good biblical doctrinal ground to say this. We should at times together sing in our spiritual language. Now, you can call that open sacrifice of praise where you just begin to 
sing in your spiritual language and you begin to pray. I do that with English, with tongues, with singing. Or it can be a time where we all actually sing to a particular uh, uh, song rhythm and we don't use the consuming fire words. We use spiritual language and we just begin to sing in our spiritual language. Paul says, I will sing with understanding and I will sing in my spirit. And so there's a time to lift up worship where you actually sing in your spiritual language. It's not the gift of tongues that Corinthians refers to that needs to be rebuked where there's no one to interpret and you're causing confusion. It's a prayer language. It's a language lifting up to God. You're not talking to people. You're talking to God. You're ministering in the Holy Spirit. You're interceding in the Holy Spirit. And in that service, I believe there can be a real touch of the anointing of God that is released as people sing in the Spirit. Can I hear an amen? amen? Number seven, I will enjoy God's continuing presence using my spiritual language. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. Psalms 10, spiritual songs. Singing, making melody. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, I think, my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Why? Because there's something about tongues that refreshes your spirits. 1 Corinthians 14.18. The last one, I will hear the voice of God using my spiritual language. John 10, my sheep know my voice. Yes. As you follow the scriptures on the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament, the person who talks to you is the Holy Spirit. Now, we say Jesus said and the Father and God has but when you get to the New Testament, it's not the Father said or God said. It's the Spirit of the Lord. First Corinthians and Second Corinthians tries to uh, teach to let people understand what the Spirit of the Lord actually is because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty and it's Jesus coming to us. But it's the Holy Spirit that applies the voice of the Father. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks with you. It's the Holy Spirit that brings thoughts to your spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that takes the voice of God and begins to press it into your life. That is why I think it's important to speak in your spiritual language because it opens your spirit to hear some things from God that you might not hear with your mind. How many of you had the Holy Spirit bypass your mind? Well, he's very good at that. You know why? Because our mind can be a problem sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes we're too smart and sometimes we're too dumb and sometimes we're too nothing. Our mind just doesn't get into it. So the Holy Spirit bypasses that and makes intercession. The voice of God comes clear. Can I hear an amen?